A very warm welcome to the Change Conversations podcast, where we help individuals to reignite the spark to look at their lives and careers with a different lens. Our interactions interrogate different individuals of all backgrounds who seek to be equipped for change in their careers and personal goals. I am your host, Mbumengu Betaga, and I look forward to bringing you impactful change conversations. Welcome, everybody. Um, thank you for joining me again today. Um, on the chair, I've got Muloko Komane. We are talking about women leadership. Um, she's going to break down some details for us. Let me not get into the detail. But for everybody that is following me, thank you for continuing to come in and hear our conversations. And for anybody who's here for the first time, please follow us, subscribe, and share, comment. We'll really love to get feedback on what you think about the conversations that we're always having. Anyway, Muloko, thank you. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, Mume. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Uh, people on this platform, they introduce themselves. So please introduce yourself. Oh, definitely. Happy So The name is Muloko Komani. I'm an analyst by trade, currently working at Multi-Choice Group as the head of business advisory for Africa. So don't, don't ask me about uh, Idols SA. Ask me about Nigerian SA and I'll tell you, Nigerian Idols, and I'll tell you about it. But outside of corporate, I'm a property investor uh, specializing with student accommodation. And I'm also an executive director for an organization called SAWL, which stands for Strategic African Women in Leadership. Oh, wow. And I think that's why we're having this conversation. We want to focus on your executive space in the Sawal space. Awesome. Great. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's break this down. You know, I'm quite passionate about women empowerment and women leadership. And for me, I think I, I always get fascinated that it, at this day and age, we are, are having these conversations and we are having this conversations at a global level, not even at an African level, where there's still the first woman this or the first black woman this. And I'm thinking, but we should be far. Like, why is this still the case? Yeah. And also, how did it even start for me? You know, if you read about the history in the 1800s, the time of Shaka Zulu in South Africa, if I give an example, as we had a lot of stories about women leaders, women queens who were leading nations and leading um, armies, you know, Mantatise, a whole lot of women's stories. Like, historically, women have been leading. So why today are we still having that conversation about women leadership? Why is this still such a, an issue globally? What, what changed? What happened between 1800s and now leading us here? <laughs> Yeah. And what is your perspective? What happened? To a large extent, I think, is that um, mindset of patriarchy. I don't know exactly when it could have started, but somewhere, somehow, from the history, something changed where men were seen as kind of like superior to the women. Hence, there were laws where women at some point were minors to their husbands, like children to their husbands, you know. And somehow there was this culture that was instilled for women to be dependent on, on their 
their husbands for provision or their fathers for provision, you know, and linking to religion as well. To a large extent, most religious or spirituality stuff, the patriarchal, that patriarchy thing is it's quite instilled. So I think somewhere in those centuries, those two, three centuries ago, something changed and it was speaking to the fiber being of who we are as human beings because it's this worldwide and it's so instilled that I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it's yeah. how we do things. It fascinates me because if you're Christian and you read the Bible, there were some women there that were, were leaders. Yeah. And and all of a sudden you get into the corporate space. And and what fascinates me is how women leaders get defined. They get defined by masculine adjectives. She's a strong woman. And I'm like, does that make her then a good leader? <laughs> and and why are we having conversations? Because leadership is leadership. Whether somebody is a woman or a man, it actually doesn't matter. But what we are finding is that there's such a shortage of women. Now it becomes an issue. Now we talk about women leadership because we are being intentional on the, on this topic. Precisely. And on your point about the leadership qualities being linked to masculinity traits, that is very instilled here. If you think about leadership, when you read about how leadership has been evolving, in the past it was more like someone who's abrasive, someone who's strong, someone who is um, difficult, you know, um, aggressive even sometimes, you know, and, and, and things that usually women fare very well in, in terms of collaboration and um, empathetic and stuff. In the past, they haven't necessarily been linked to good leadership. It's only now in these days that we, we're starting to appreciate those things, that empathetic leadership is actually a more effective way to lead. You know? So yeah. we get there slowly, but yeah, there's a lot to learn and a lot to get through, to get over. No, but it's been centuries. It just feels like, and I know we, we need to keep at it. But what I find is that women get irritated with corporate and, and then sometimes make decisions to leave corporate because there's an element of, oh my God, I can't deal with this anymore. So mm. I'd rather just go do my own thing. I'd rather just go, I don't know, find other things where I can be in control of my career and of my space without having to be forced to comply and to the boys' club mentality, mm. to the way we do things in this business, you know, those lines. And 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 it becomes it becomes tiring at some point. It does. You found it. And you know what makes it tiring is because there's a lot of internal conflict that one will have. The same example we're talking about now, leadership being defined in terms of masculinity is now you find some women trying to showcase that I'm a good leader. They start trying to be masculine in their approach. And when you start being someone you're not, trying to be a man, you're not authentic. You're not being genuine. It, 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 it goes against who you are. No wonder you eventually leave. Because it's not who you are and you can't go on and carry on living someone else's life. A friend of mine once said to me that she, she left corporate because, and she was an executive leader at that time. She said she left because someone even told her that she was a, a square peg in a round hole. She didn't fit. Wow. Because the leadership culture of that organization was so masculine that when she tries to be herself and bring about her superior feminine qualities that makes a good leader, she was told she didn't fit. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. and, and I have to say, my my pet peeve is it's my pet peeve, look, like like it it yeah. When women start behaving like men because they want to fit, that for me is you might as well leave. Like you might as well just walk away because trying now fit in the boys' club, trying to be accepted just becomes, it becomes a lot. There's a lot of energy that needs to go in it. You need to, you need to act it out, right? Because that's not who you are. And you mm-hmm. might be that person, then it's fine. But mm-hmm. if you're really taking this person so that you are accepted, that for me is just, it drives me say. Mm. And which is why for me, it's very important that we change the landscape and the climax in corporates because we can't be who we're not. And to your point, rather leave than stay where you can't be yourself. But where would you go if this is something that is across board within the entire corporate? Which is why now we need to deliberately do something to change the climate in our own organization so that they are more conducive uh, and, and more friendly, woman-friendly environments so that people can be who they are in their working space because that's when you thrive. You thrive when you are who you are. But I wanted to also go back to the point you mentioned earlier about this, we've been having this chat for centuries, for decades. Why isn't it changing? And I wanted to make a point that it is because it's something that we are brought up with. It doesn't start when you get to corporate. It starts when you are growing up. It starts when when we grew up, we played with dolls and teacups. It's like we've been groomed to look after babies and make tea while our brothers were playing with gadgets. You know, there, there was this in puzzle shop machines, that game, gaming machines, or TV yeah. games like the gadgets and the cars. So, uh, and playing around with things that are kind of like towards technology. Hence, when we grow up, men are more inclined to go towards the te- technical field and women towards more nurturing kind of like careers. So this separation of gender stereotype, it starts very early. And then when we grow up and we get into corporate, it becomes a hindrance. That's when you'll find some areas that are male-dominated and some that are not. And that's where we still today have to talk about women leadership. It starts at home. And and I get that because parents didn't know anybody, right? They were also brought up that way. And and we we, we kind of fuel the stereotype, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And and nobody knows any better. But within the within corporate space, the fact that we as women are being vocal is it really changing anything? To a large extent, hey, I'll say being vocal is we we, we are moving in the right direction, not at, at the pace that we should be, but things are starting to change. You know, the more we speak about it, the more we have more and more women in leadership roles, things are changing because it's also that issue of having role models. Another reason why we have low representation of women in leadership roles is because as a young girl, if I look at companies and I look at the leadership teams and I see men, somewhere inside of me, I'm believing that that is the space for my brother. It's not my space. So I don't even aspire to get there. But now the more women we start to talk about it, the more we become aware of it and the more we deliberately try to change it and the more we see more women in leadership roles, those young girls coming behind us, they start seeing themselves in us and seeing themselves taking up that space as well. And eventually we're going to have more and more higher representation of women as we go along. There is a bit of progress. I mean, I remember when I did a research in the continent of Africa, the representation of women in 
in, in corporates was about 32% across board. Uh, but right now, I think it's uh, moving to about 40, but we're still very low in terms of representation of women in leadership roles. So it's still around yeah. 28% or so. So, but more and more women are starting to get into corporate now. We, we, we're seeing less women staying at home, um, managing domestic responsibilities and actually entering the space and participating in the economy and getting employment and slowly but surely, eventually, even that leadership percentage is going to shift. Yeah, because as you say, you find that they, in, in, in middle management and, and, and in the levels of corporate, there's a lot mm. of women, mm. but the more you go up, that's when things start, um, the, the numbers start looking very different, right? Yeah. And and mm-hmm. and my question is, what are those barriers that is 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 making that you see less women go up and more males? There's a lot. <laughs> you know, the low representation of women in leadership is not caused by one thing. It's like a whole lot of multiple factors and they kind of like co-produce each other. So if I, I like speaking to it when I give example of representation of women in leadership, but especially in male-dominated industries like the STEM field, right? Uh, some of the things is like the example I gave, when you grow up, you, you don't play a lot with gadgets and technology things. So when you choose your career path, you don't choose uh, the technical field. Men choose that. It's one of the reasons. But now having less women, it means those few women that take that path, they've got fewer role models to aspire to or mentors to speak to. And mentorship and sponsorship in terms of progressing to leadership is one of the biggest catalysts. But now if you don't have enough women to mentor you, it's not always easy for a woman to have a man who mentors them. Even men sometimes, they don't feel comfortable because the relationship might be questioned. You know, some women might be afraid that, am I going to be seen as if I'm sleeping my way to the top? There's a lot of things that stand on your way. But when you have more women, firstly, they're role models. Secondly, they could become your sponsor, your career sponsor or your mentor. And then also there is the issue of domestic responsibilities. The societal gender stereotypes that it's a barrier that is caused by both genders, you know, when you are a man, you work late or you travel, it's okay. You are a man, you're fending for your family. But when a woman does that, even some women themselves who come from the older generation, as you've mentioned, they come from their own background, their own upbringing. Those women, the parents will then say, who are you leaving your husband with? You know, when my husband does it, it's okay. He's going to fend for his family. But when I do it, it's a problem. But now to progress into leadership, there's a lot of sacrifices one has to make. You know, you, you, you have to, there's a trade-off, but now you don't have support from your family to make those sacrifices because you are a woman. But for a man, it's understandable. And then also looking after the home as well. Again, domestic responsibilities. You, you're competing in a competitive space at work, competing with men. You come back home, you have to carry the domestic responsibility all by yourself. So you have to be 120% at work, 100% at home. You feel tired. You know, you, you, you work yourself to burn out. Uh, you know, you have children that you have to raise. Again, children, taking maternity leave, it somehow slows down your career progression. You can accelerate your career while you are taking four, six months off on maternity leave so it's like a whole lot of things but the one thing for me that I love talking about is the one that we as women actually have control over and that is the self-confidence so because Mm -hmm. of the way we brought up 
because of the patriarchy that makes men to be more like born leaders while women are born supporters, there's something in us that somehow we have to overcome to believe that we can lead and have the confidence that we can lead. Women tend to value themselves lower than they actually are. Like if, if you ask women to rate themselves, half of the time they rate themselves lower than they actually are capable of. The self-doubt. You know, um, the other example I like using is when I'm applying for a job, there's a leadership position that is available. When I'm applying for it, I want to be 100% confident that I can do it. But if I haven't done it before, I'm not sure. So I shy away from it. Men, they they go on potential. It's a leadership role. I, I have the potential to do it. I'm going to go for it, whether I did it or not. But women, some who can actually lead effectively, hold themselves back because, because I've never led, I don't know if I can do it. But until you actually take that first step, then you're never going to leave. So that is one of the things that keeps the representation low because even if opportunities are there and companies want to hire women, we women also have to come up, raise our hand and take that step. And sometimes that confidence and self-doubt, uh, it, it stands in the way to a large extent. But I like speaking to it because it's something that we have control over. And it's something yeah. that if we change within ourselves, we will change the representation of women in leadership. Yeah. Wow, that is a mouthful. <laughs> that is a mouthful because, but you know where I kind of get stuck with, the thing is, even with middle, when you're still in middle management, the domestic factor is still there, right? Yes. You, still have, you still have kids to look after. You still have a, mm-hmm. a home to look after. You still have responsibility at work. Mm-hmm. Um. Maybe the responsibility when you become an executive is just a little bit more, but it's not like there's anything different because this is what we've been doing it anyway, trying to juggle the workspace and, and the home space and you as a person, and it's not going to ease, you know, it's not, it doesn't get any easier because now we've moved to the, to the next level. And, mm-hmm. and the confidence element self-esteem element how about the women that do put themselves out there the ones where it's finally clicked that i don't have to tick all the boxes mm-hmm. i could be 70 percent of the job description and i'll apply but the fact that you are a woman maybe you don't even stand a chance you'll be brought in be interviewed because we have to tick the boxes yeah. but the fact that you're already a woman is already like oh she might get pregnant, you know, mm-hmm. and she might just go away for another six weeks. We can't afford not to have somebody in. You know, those those biases that just yes. pop up because you are a woman. Mm. Like, how do we even deal with those? You know, as, like I said, the low representation is caused by a lot of factors. And to answer your question, what I've observed is I, I do mentorships as well. I mentor a whole lot of women. And what I see is that when they raise their hand and realize that I don't have to be 100% and they actually make that bold move and take it on, they get hired. But that doesn't exclude them from that challenge of you are a woman. You enter that space on a back foot because there's this unconscious bias and they believe that time is lost with women. Or some who just believe that subconsciously, they just believe that because you're a woman, you can't lead effectively. So now that puts you in a position where you have to work twice as hard or thrice as hard as your male counterpart, because you need to prove yourself. And in terms of how to solve that, unfortunately, in my opinion, I don't think in our generation we can do away with it. 
I think we can continue to speak about it to prepare the workspace for our children coming behind us. But with us, I think it's something that we just need to know that is there and know that there are trade-offs that we're going to have to make and be willing to do that. So when I raise my hand now and I take on that leadership role, I'm doing that knowing that I'm going to have to prove myself. I'm going to have to, because I'm, I'm not believed to be a good leader by virtue of who I am. Now I have to use my work to show that I'm a good leader and give 150%. Unfortunately, it is what it is. It has to be done. But at the same time, now there's this pressure of home. And what I found out, I did a research on success factors for women as part of my MBA thesis. And the ladies that I interviewed who are successful leaders in the male-dominated industry, they said that all of them, they said that they didn't try to do it all at the same time. Some said that I started my career and I decided that I'm going to push my career to leadership level before I build a family. And some chose that they didn't get married because they knew that once they get married, the pressure of having children is going to come. So they delayed getting married as their choice. Some women said that I got married. My husband was understanding. We negotiated with the in-laws that will give me the grandchildren, just not now, and delayed having children until they got to same level of the leadership career. And then some said, I actually started with family. And then once my children were a certain age, I had a domestic helper, a nanny who helped me, and then I could focus on work. So what they did quite well, all of them, they knew that there was a time to push career acceleration and there was a time to build a family because trying to do both is going to be hard because in the corporate space, at work, you're going to have to give yourself more than your colleagues because you are a woman. Also, the support at home. So those women who are ambitious and they want to push ambition, another thing that just reminded me, when you are ambitious as a woman, people are frowning upon it. But to be able to succeed as a leader, you need to be ambitious. So those women who are ambitious and they have their family who support them, they have a good support structure, they've got many relatives who help with the kids and stuff, so they don't have all that big baggage of having to raise the family all by themselves. That helps a great deal in them being able to cope, being leaders with a demanding role and still being a mom if they choose to have a family. Oh, it is tiring. Just listen. <laughs> There's oh. a lot. <laughs> just, just, just having to juggle kids, work, being a wife or being a partner and all these things is, 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 is tiring. And, and I think the partner, getting the right partner who's supportive um, ideally is the best thing that you can do and yeah. and and that helps but mm-hmm. but there's the other side though which I've experienced the side of guilt that your success brings you are all over the world you are traveling there's everything and anything that has to do with work and then mm-hmm. now you must deal with your own guilt what's mm-hmm. your take on that one I worked for Ericsson and I was traveling globally and mm. I would come home and my daughter would be potty trained and I would mm. come home and she would be walking and I would be like, oh my God, what kind of a mother are you? <laughs> You'll always be there, right? With me, my son, I'll be sitting with my nanny and then if he gets hurt, he'll run to my nanny crying for my nanny to come for him while I'm sitting right next to my nanny and as much as I was a bit jealous it, it, it gave me comfort to know that you know what they've got a mother-son relationship so my children are in good hands 
because the guilt will be there. I promise you, I also travel a lot and you have to like do video calls with them. And then sometimes when you travel, my children had this calendar that they'll cross out the number of sleeps before mama comes back home. And the guilt will be there, but you, you, you learn to live with it and you learn to manage it. And even those little ones, sometimes they pay the guilt against you, you know, that, that sometimes they're going to, whoever, whoever's mom did so and so and so, and then you, mom, are, are, are where you're not here, you didn't come for my concert. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, go and tell Papa the same thing because Papa is in the country. Papa can come to your concert. <laughs> you know? yeah. it's, 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 the guilt will be there, but it's not only the moms who have to be there for the children because what helps me to manage my guilt and overcome it is that children just need someone who's nurturing, someone who's going to give them food, who's going to bath them, who's going to look after them. Whether it's me or it's their nanny or it's my mom or it's my sister, if they get that, I'm not being a neglectful mom. So I can easily, with clear conscience, go away and fend for them so that I could, I can be able to afford them the stuff that they they, they also enjoy, you know? Yeah. So as long as I'm not abandoning them, leaving them in a place where they struggle, and I've noticed it with my son. Like I said, he had more of a closer relationship with my nanny than with me. Because at the time when he was born, that's when I was traveling quite a lot. And I've, I've missed a couple of milestones. And as much as I feel guilty that I've missed them, it's more on I've missed out. It's me on formal, not on me being a bad mom or anything. And I think if we try to get over that, that it doesn't make you a bad mom. The same way that when their father go away and the father missed the first step, it's not an issue. So it shouldn't be an issue with that, which takes me back to what I said about the kids, what they play with. Let our son play with dolls. It's going to make them that daddy who's going to be changing nappies. Let your daughter play with gadgets. It's going to create an interest for her to pursue a stem cells. We shouldn't be creating gender roles at home. Yeah. But it, it really feels like there's still a long way to go, though. Um mm. As you say, things are changing slowly but surely. But I mm. think there are still spaces where the bias is there and, mm. and the, there's, there's nothing that is pushing some of the industries to a point where male-female uh, representation is really that important. And I think mm. there's a bigger conversation of when you, just, when you have diverse teams, mm. you know, from a gender perspective, from a race perspective, from an age perspective. And it, it just brings a different, um, it brings different ideas onto the field, right? Because everybody's looking at it from their own perspective and, mm. and it opens you up for, for different perspectives that you, would, mm. you wouldn't have known because that's not who you are. And mm. that's, that's not who you were brought up to be. Mm. You know what I'm saying? True. Innovation as well. You know, having a diverse team that makes decisions, it gives you an opportunity to see life through the lenses of your, your customer base. You know, your customer base consists of men, women, black, white, yellow, gay, straight. You know, it, it's diverse. Your customer base is diverse. So if you're going to be creating product that will add value to them, you need to understand what value add means to them in their own perspective. So when you have a leadership team, decision-making team that is diverse, then you get to have representation of your entire customer base and you are able to then craft solutions or products that speak to your customer. And it, when you start do, when you get that right, then the profitability follow. And to your point earlier, that we need to be deliberate about it as well. Because as much as we speak about it and we encourage companies to do it, 
To a large extent, most companies see it diversity as like a necessary evil. And what you've mentioned as a benefit, they don't see that as a benefit. For them, it's more like, ah, I need to get the diversity right because the government wants me to do it. But when you look at it like that, you're not going to be motivated to do it. You're going to find all the reasons and excuses why you're not representative in terms of your leadership structure. But if you start looking at it and understand what benefits it brings, and there's a lot of benefits. I spoke about profitability in terms of having the diverse team to improve the relevance of your product. There's also my research as well, the same research I spoke about, we touched on that as well, the benefits of having diverse teams and especially having women like a gender diverse team. And one of them as well was the issue of attrition. So uh, some authors were arguing that when women are in leadership, there's absenteeism linking it back to sometimes male subordinates struggle to uh, respect their female leader. And then as a result, there's there's a high level of absenteeism. There's a lot of conflict. But actually, some researchers that came afterwards, and my research as well, actually proved that, that we rejected that notion and proved that when women are in leadership, because women usually are more nurturing, they're more empathetic, people really, their working environment is pleasant for them. That reduces stress level. That reduces taking leave because of sick, uh, you know, and people are more engaged. People also, the team is more productive and they are high performing because women, again, being nurturing in nature, we are born with this ability to make others be the best people they can be. I don't know if God gave this to us because we're mothers and we need to create best human beings from our children. So we have that ability that with our team, we have that ability to get the people to be the best version of themselves. And when your team consists of individuals who are the best version of themselves, naturally you've got the high performing team, you've got the best team. And the best team the results are always great results. So if companies start seeing gender diversity for its benefits, people will start being more motivated to actually go find women, find to get the gender diversity right because they know it's going to benefit the company. Yeah. No, as, as you're talking, I just think of some of those marketing campaigns that have failed dismally because it was clear that diversity wasn't there. Um, yeah. Like the shampoo story, was it the shampoo story or the one? That one still make me cringe. But I think my other side of that, though, we were not at their agency because the other side is: do people, let's say, in that team there were black people Mm -hmm. that could have been sensitive to that that conversation, but did they feel that they had the voices? Mm -hmm. And if they did say anything where they going to be listened because that's another conversation of the numbers have been ticked, but the inclusion is actually not there because you can't mm. tick the diversity. People are there, you can count that we've got three um, executives that are in their thirties. We've got three black females. We've got two white females and mm. we've got two white males. We're diverse. We've got Indians, coloreds. Diversity, tick, right? Mm -hmm. But the question becomes, when you speak, Mm -hmm. are your ideas being taken into account? Mm -hmm. Do you feel that you have a voice Mm -hmm. in whatever that is going on? And Mm -hmm. are you being taken seriously like all the other people that are in that room? Because I think that for me becomes the most important conversation than just ticking the numbers. 
Exactly. And you know, for me again to my point, if you are doing it just to comply with BEE, that's when for you is going to be box teaching exercise. But if you are doing it to get the value of having gender diversity, you will encourage those women to speak up because you hire them there to give you the perspective of women on the matters around the table, right? But also the number also count as well. Some research proved that they were speaking about changing policies for organizations to be more women friendly, that we need more women at board level. You need to have at least more than 10% of the members of the board being women to have an impact. If it's just one woman on that table, trust me, her voice won't be heard. And sometimes, to your point, she could shy away from speaking out, or if she speaks out, she's outvoted or no one listened. But for any change to take place, the research shows that you need to have at least more than 10% of women. And also, again, on the board of directors, they said that even when you choose your diversity candidate for be on the board, choose carefully people who are passionate about what you want to change. If you want to have transformation, deliberately go higher the member of the diversity on your board who are passionate about transformation because somebody who's passionate, trust me, they're most likely going to speak up. And if they've got enough safety in numbers, like more than 10% of the the board seats, it's most likely the policies are going to be changed based on what they say. So yes, it can be changed, but if we've got enough people speaking of that change, but also if the people that are there speak to it, but again, they will do that if the company sees the benefit of it, not doing it just to tick boxes. And and the company, you find that this thing being led by a man. Yo, it just doesn't stop, guys. Like, <laughs> because of another unconscious and, bias. And, and, it's being, and sometimes it's being led by white males. And mm. we can't shy away from that conversation because mm. you've got white males that might not have a good understanding of bringing these black females into the space. So mm. maybe there they might be a sense of comfort with bringing in a white female, but now you're bringing in a, a black female. That on its own is like, oh my God, we're bringing drama into the Total space. Total opposite, I promise you. And no, also, <laughs> no, but what you're speaking to, again, I love speaking to research, a similarity syndrome. So there's this syndrome that usually we tend to favor the people who are like us. So, us. and it's not it's not malicious. It's not like I, I choose that I'm gonna be kind of like discriminatory and like black women. But naturally, I'm wired to be more drawn to black women. So, to, for as long as we still have predominantly white males in senior positions, when they hire leaders, they don't even think about it. They don't do it deliberately. But in interviews they'll connect better with another white male. So if you're not deliberate to kind of like change your mindset and deliberately try to find the likeness in people who are different from you, we're still going to have this problem. But the more we, more Black women we see in leadership roles, possibly that similarity syndrome will start being less because for it to stop, people need to be aware of it. But usually things that we are unconscious about, it's not very easy to, even if I tell you about it, because you're not aware of it, you're going to be defensive and you're not going to accept that that is the case. So you need to have your own awakening on your own and make a decision to change it. It's not very easy yeah. to change. Wow. And and how have you found your own career journey as a Black woman who've worked for some um, big corporates? How has that been for you? 
Women, it has been so difficult. And that is actually the reason why I started to be a mentor so that the women coming behind me, they can learn from my own mistakes and my own challenges and how I overcame them. Because for me, it was just trial and error, you know, and the stuff that we spoke about, um, the issue of similarity syndrome, I've always loved leading. I always wanted to lead. From the time I started working, I wanted to lead. So I've been chasing leadership role. Every time, every time you take, the door gets slammed on your face. Like you, you come in before you even have a degree, don't even think of going into corporate South Africa. So you have your degree, you come in, you're competing with people who don't even have a degree. And then they tell you they've they have four-year experience. In the four years you were studying, they were there. So now they are superior to you because they've got four-year experience. You come with your degree, you work as in a technical role. When you're ready to move to leadership, you go and do a management course. So with me, I went and did this management advancement program just so that I can start applying for leadership role. Once I got my map, I started chasing. It was not easy. But when I was ready to move to an executive role, I went and did my MBA. A lot of other people don't necessarily have to bring those qualifications to be able to get the foot in the door. So one of the challenges was that I ended up doing a lot of leadership training. And sometimes I got to a point where I felt like I'm a perpetual learner, like a perpetual training. I go for leadership course after one another and still I'm not getting into a leadership role because what was missing was that the opportunities. But for me, what worked is I never gave up. Mentors, I got mentors. I got um, sponsors. For me also, it was that personal confidence thing that I spoke about. I did the courses because I wasn't sure I could lead without them. So I had to go do the leadership courses to boost my confidence. And when I had those courses and I started now knocking at doors, proactively looking for leadership role, I was told in one example, previous companies I worked with, the first time I wanted to, to lead and I, I've made my intention known that I want to lead, um, I was told that I don't have enough commercial experience. So I actually went and took over a role as a business manager for the COO. Now, when you work closer to the COO, it's like you have a helicopter view of the business. You touch on every element of the business. There's no better commercial acumen gaining than that. So still, even after that, when I came back and said, now I'm ready to lead in my space because I've got commercial acumen, I'm still told, no, you're not ready yet. People tell you you're not ready, but you don't even know what it is that I'm supposed to do to be ready. I feel ready. You know, I'm ready to take this on. I've done everything. I've done the courses. I've done the experience. What, 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 what do you mean I'm not ready? You know, and they'll tell you, no, we just, you're not ready, but they're not specific. Or we found another candidate who's more qualifying. But for me, what worked is I, I just never gave up. You know, I, I knew that I wanted to do this and I kept at it. But what also helped me was the support of others, support of mentors, support of someone who worked with me before. My very first leadership gig was someone who worked with me before and knew my potential and believed in me and said, We've got a leadership role and I know you're going to thrive at this. And he hired me and I throw. So it's also no man is an island. You know, you can't do it on your own. That's why Sewell that I just touched on earlier. You need a community of women who says, you know what? We know the struggle. We know the grind. And now we want those coming behind us not to suffer the way we did. We're going to lift as we rise. We're going to show you the way. We're going to tell you what worked for us so that you don't have to take five years to get to where we, what took us five years. You can do it in a year if you know exactly where to go. So let's guide you because we've walked the path. If you get support from others, it, it, it will help to kind of like catapult you into a leadership career. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. So t tell us briefly uh, about Sawal. What, what does the organization do exactly? Yes, so Sawal basically is a, a group of women, like I've mentioned, who says, we want to change 
the representation of women in leadership. And also not only in leadership, but in participating in the economy altogether, you know, women entrepreneurs. Because one of the researchers was showing as well, like more than majority of the entrepreneurs are women, but majority of entrepreneurs who get funding are men. So a lot of women have to set up businesses to fend for their families. Why is it that majority of people who get funding are men? So we're looking at those to support women who want to do startup in the African continent, but also the women who want to lead. And we work with women who are still at technical role looking for their first leadership gig or those that are already in the leadership role and want to grow to more executive role, CEO, C-suite, or even board membership to say, look, we want to create a talent pool of women because companies, when you ask them, why don't you have enough women in leadership? They tell you there's no talent. It's the excuse I told you about. Because they see it as a necessary evil, they come up with excuses of saying, yeah, but I want women, but I can't find them. So we have this annual ceremony of Trailblazers Awards where we are actually highlighting and bringing to the fore the women pioneers in our continent to say, you say you don't have talent. Look at all these women powerhouses, what they are doing. We are not short of talent in Africa, but also we have programs and things that we do to work with women in Africa to create leadership talent pool, to bring them and say, you want to be a leader? These are the stuff that you can do. These are the courses you can take. These are the projects you can pursue. We give you mentors, coaches to work with you so that you can unleash the leader in you so that the more women we have who are ready to lead, Companies can be spoiled for choice to choose women and stop saying they can't find talent in a continent. Yeah. So let, let's just say I am middle manager somewhere and I'm hearing this conversation. So, and I'm interested in, in Sawal. What do I need to do? Do I join? Like, how does it work? So you actually go to our website. It's www.sawal.co.za. And there's a page for membership. So there's different types of membership. If you are middle management, you're starting out, you're looking for more senior manager role and executive role, um, you could join as a, as a basic member. So basic members have got their own programs that are meant for people at that level. And then if you are already senior, let's say you're executive, you want to be a CEO or you want to be a board member, there's also programs that are structured for more senior leadership kind of like people. If you are professional sometimes. Also, uh, because we have like women professionals who are in male dominated industries, like women pilots, women scientists, women surgeons, who half of the time they're the only women in, in the office or in, in where they work. And sometimes they yearn for company of like minded women in, in other countries. So we bring all the pilots together to have that community of women who work in your space that you can speak to, who understand you as a woman, but also understand you as someone who's in the same career path as you, you know? So we've got different levels and then we've got the entrepreneur leg as well, where we have women to learn how to run a sustainable business, um, how to get funding and so forth. So to be a member, when you go to the website, there's different membership types that are described and the benefits of each type. And then basically, once you join, there's a platform similar to like LinkedIn platform, but a platform that members engage. And that's where you find people who can mentor you, become your career sponsors or business partners in that platform. And then also you get access to our programs that we run, depending on where you are and what your needs are. Okay. And is it paid membership for you to be able to access these It is. It is paid membership and it differs in terms of the levels as well. And then, but sometimes uh, we also have, um, we we sometimes have free events. So sometimes now and again, we'll have like conversation sessions with like 
formidable women across the continent come to inspire us and we learn from them. So usually those ones are for free. So sometimes we do have some free events, but then sometimes to get the training and the coaching and the board uh, academy access, you need to be a member. Okay. Okay. No, great. Um, there's no way I, I can thank you for the time. I really, really appreciate it. So if anybody wants to hold of you, how do they find you? Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn, but not on any of the socials. But if anyone would like to get a hold of me, you could just go um, on LinkedIn, search for Moloko Ikomane and uh, reach out to me from there. And then if anyone would like to reach out to me for mentorship, um, I've actually joined uh, Yolanda Kuba's mentorship. She calls it the mentorship boardroom. So if you go to like yeah. Instagram or even on Google, just Google the mentorship boardroom, they've got a platform where you could register as a mentee. And then my name will be on the list of mentors. You could also get hold of me through that platform. Yeah, it's an amazing platform. I also got joined and I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm really awesome. enjoying it. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant platform that she's really, she's, she's, um, she's put in place. It is. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best. Um, one of these days for sure, we'll be seeing Muloko, the CEO of whatever. <laughs> or or Muloko, the, the non-executive director of, or the chairperson of the board. We wish that all for you. <laughs> thank you, Pume. Thank you so much for the well wishes. And thank you for having me. <laughs> no, anytime. I really enjoyed speaking to you. And this is one conversation where, I, I don't know, sometimes I think I feel defeated. <laughs> because I, I always think there is still so much to do. And, and where I get stuck is I want my kids, if they ever decide to go the cop route, I want by the time they get there, things will be different. There will be yeah. a, a, a level playing field. Mm -hmm. They will be earning the same as their male counterparts. Mm -hmm. The fact that they are black women wouldn't matter. Like, like that's what you wish for your children, you know? And hence, I just keep saying, I'll just put in my voice in those spaces. And don't be the angry black woman, but put my voice in it so that those things might change in the future. And thank you for the time. Thank you for listening to Change Conversations. If you enjoyed our show and you would like to help support the podcast, Please share it with others and kindly post about it on your social media platforms. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram and YouTube at Change Conversations with Mbume. I am Mbume Ngubedaga signing out and I will see you again next week.